many ready for the word? Yeah. Clap your hands if you're ready for it. I want you to make some noise. Let's welcome our New Jersey locations into the building. New Jersey. We are changing church, guys. One house, many rooms. I want to read a, a, a verse of, couple of verses of scripture from the book of Matthew chapter number 2, beginning at verse number 13. Matthew chapter number 2, beginning at verse number 13. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And this is what it says. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. I want to talk from this subject today, family. Here it is. I'm going to see if you have ever shared these sentiments. I was not expecting this. Clap your hands right here, New Jersey, online. I was not expecting this. So family, on today, we are entering into part three of a series of sermons that we've affectionately entitled, Greater. Somebody say greater. Come on, say it again like you mean it. Greater. Say it like you believe God's getting ready to do it in your life. Greater. That's it. Greater. This greater series is what we, we are calling our Advent series. We are in a season on the Christian liturgical calendar known as Advent. And the word Advent, you've heard me say this, comes from the Latin word Adventus. And it simply means coming. So the Advent season is a season where people of faith engage in intentional appreciation and celebration for the coming of Jesus. You see, the Easter season is the season wherein we celebrate the fact that Jesus got up. But the Christmas season is the season wherein we celebrate the fact that Jesus came down and I'm telling you he came down to lift us up what do you mean Darius I'm simply suggesting that contrary to popular religious belief Jesus didn't come simply to or only to or exclusively to save us from sin that's not incorrect but that would be incomplete if we stopped there he not only came to save us from sin, come here, he also came to rescue us from regular. Y'all a little quiet on me in ATL and New Jersey today. I said, Jesus not only came to save us from sin, he also came to rescue us from regular. He, he adamantly articulates this in his description of his own mission in Luke chapter 4, verse number 17. He said, unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. 
for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him, and he began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said, I didn't just come to save you from sin, I came to rescue you from regular. <laughs> Because I've researched the words that the Bible uses to describe you and me and none of the words that the Bible uses to describe God's people are synonymous with, in the family of, or similar to regular. If you look at all the words the Bible uses to talk about you, regular is not one of them. And I want to know, am I talking to anybody? that is honest enough to admit ain't nothing regular about me if you knew where I had come from if you knew what I had been through if you knew what I had survived you would have to admit there is nothing regular about me salt light chosen peculiar royal beloved anointed selected protected chosen head not tail above only not beneath lender not borrower those are all words that the bible uses to describe you and me and none of them sound like regular if you were regular you would have died a long time ago if you were regular you would have walked out a long time ago and because you serve an irregular god that's giving you an irregular life somebody give him an irregular Regular praise. Regular. <laughs> he said, I came, I came to rescue you from regular. You don't want a regular anything. You don't want a regular mind. You don't run a regular ministry. You don't want a regular marriage. You don't want a regular career. You don't need the anointing for regular. You can do regular by yourself. But the anointing comes on your life to enable you to do what you could not do on your own. And oh my God, it's too early for us to be having church like this. But I want somebody in this room to know you getting ready to get delivered from regular. Lord, deliver me from regular. Deliver me from regular people. Deliver me from regular mindsets. Deliver me from regular anything that's inconsistent with what you have for my life. He didn't just come to save us from sin. He came to rescue us from regular. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament actually corrects people in Corinth who were unaware of their calling and their commission to be irregular. 
He says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 3, he says, For you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Let, let, let me, can, can I contemporize the text? Come on, can, can, can I take it? Can I take it from the past to the future? Can, can, can I put this in 2022 language? Can, can I break this down so it can forever and consistently be broken down? Paul said, you got too much power to be that petty. He's, he, says, he says, you're acting like people who don't possess the power you possess. He's saying to them, why are you jealous? Why do you have strife? You have a, he says, I understand why people who are not people of faith have jealousy. Because they have a scarcity mentality. They believe that me getting something from me takes something from them. But when you're a person of faith, you don't have a scarcity mentality. You got an abundance mentality where you say what God has for me is for me. If you can take it, it wasn't mine. I can't say this. I got to wait till left. If you can take them, they wasn't mine. What God has for me is for me. Jesus did not just come to save us from sin. Y'all okay? I got 20 minutes. Don't hold your amens. Jesus came to rescue us from regular. So Advent becomes the season where we express intentional appreciation for his contribution to our life. However, the Advent of Jesus should not just be a time, watch this, uh, too early guys, not just be a time of appreciation, it should also be a time of education. Right? Not, not just a time of celebration, but a time of education. Right? Learning from it. Advent should be this way. And when we get to Easter, Easter. We're going to talk about Easter in this way, right? Many people don't even understand that the gospel is not just the actions of Jesus, but the implications of those actions. It's only the implications of the actions that make it good news. We say Jesus got up. Well, that's good for him. Right? That's, that's good news for him. Right? It's only good news for me when I know what that means. Does that make sense? So it's one thing to know Jesus got up. It's another thing to know why. It's, it's, an, it's one thing to know Jesus came down. It's another thing to know why. Are y'all understanding why I'm leaning this? Because you live at the level, spiritually, you live at the level of your revelation. This is why I'm leaning into this and explaining why Jesus came. This is why I want you to know he came to do more than just save us from sin. Because you live at the level of your revelation. And if all you have been taught and if all you have learned is he came to save you from sin... That's all you will express faith for. That's all you will pursue. But once you get a revelation that he wants to do exceedingly 
and abundantly above all you ask, think, or imagine, then that revelation causes a revolution in your life. This is why the enemy doesn't mind us being saved as long as we uninformed. The enemy does not mind us being excited as long as we are uneducated. The apostle Paul put it this way. He said, because of our ignorance, Satan gets an advantage over us. But I want somebody in this season who feels something rising up on the inside of you to say today for your own soul's sake. Somebody say, not me, not me, not me, not me. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep growing. I want God to keep speaking to me. I don't want to be limited to what is less than God's best for me. Let me say this one more time. Who grew up in church? Lord, I'm running. There you go. <laughs> Trying to make a hundred. Ninety-nine and a half. Just won't do. So the Advent season shouldn't just be a time of appreciation. It should be a time of education. There should be lessons from Jesus' life that we look at during this season that we apply to our own life. Got me? Okay, and, and here's a lesson I want us to explore in the 16 minutes and 52 seconds I got left. Here it is. Here it is for my note takers. Here it is, family. The advent of Jesus, here's a lesson, is an indication of God's tendency to act unexpectedly. Eight people got it. Let me say it again. The advent of Jesus is an indication of God's tendency to act unexpectedly. God's got a tendency. A propensity. He's got a proclivity to act unexpectedly. I want to see where the honest section is. Come on, is it Atlanta? Is it New Jersey? Is it online? Where's the honest section that will say, Pastor, you know what? When I think about it, when I look back over my life, when I audit and when I reflect, I would have to admit most of the stuff God did, I didn't expect. Some of the things God allowed, I didn't expect some of the things I had to live through I didn't some of the places I'm living at I did some of you I didn't I didn't expect to have a church in Atlanta the advent of Jesus is an indication of God's tendency to act unexpectedly what do you mean Pastor Darius nobody in this context expected God to show up the way he showed up Nobody expected him to pick a late teenager, 16, 17 years old like Mary and say, I'm going to use you to be the vessel 
to produce the savior of the world and release him into the earth. Nobody expected that. Nobody expected the king of kings and the Lord of lords to be born where he was born. No room in the inn. Born out in spaces with animals. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And I want to pause here so that we can get the lesson from this because it teaches us that God will often not show up looking like God. Did you hear what I just said? I said God very often shows up not looking like God. Moses saw a burning bush and didn't even know that burning bush was God. Israel was led by a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night. And they didn't even, they, come on, the cloud was God. Jacob had a dream of a ladder and the ladder was God. A dove descended on Jesus on the day of his baptism and the dove was God. This is why we must be careful and conscious regarding how we describe our dilemmas because God doesn't initially show up looking like God. I know we call it God when doors swing open. I'm telling you, it's also God when some doors close. We call it God when some people come into our life. I'm telling you, it is also God when some people go out of our life. Because God doesn't always show up looking like God. But he, he, here's my point. Just because you don't see God in it initially does not mean you won't see him in it eventually. God's got a way of revealing himself in one season in such a way that you got to go back and rename what you mislabeled in a previous season. Did you hear what I just said? When you in it, you're like, this is the worst season of my life. Then you get to another season and God shows up in a miraculous way. Now you got to go back and rename that season. And you say, when I was in it, it was the worst season of my life. But now that I look back at it, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't know who this is for, but I want to encourage somebody right now. God's getting ready to bless you so ridiculously that you're going to have to rename some past seasons. <laughs> I said you're going to have to rename some things. You're going to call the breakdown a breakthrough. Did you hear what I just said? You're going to call that uh, rejection direction. Just because you don't see him eventually, initially doesn't mean we won't see him eventually. We must accept and embrace that God acts unexpectedly. Now with that being the case, I got to share something. And I went back and forth about whether or not we was ready. I had to wonder, is New Jersey ready? Is Atlanta ready? Is Change Global ready? for what I got to drop in the house. 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm getting ready to, I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta share a level three lesson here. I said, I got, I, got, I got to share a level three lesson here. Uh, Darius, what do you mean when you say level three? Just in case you're unfamiliar with what I mean by that. There are three ways you can live your life. Culture's way, the church's way, and the king's way. Culture's way is level one. Church's way is level two. The king's way, Jesus's way, is level three. Culture's way sees God as a creator. Church's way sees God as a savior. The king's way sees God as Lord. Level two says, save my life, but don't lead it. <laughs> it's what the theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard calls vampire Christianity. Christians who want Jesus' blood and nothing else. Just give me the blood, but don't give me your leadership. Give me the blood, but don't tell me what to do. Give me the blood, but don't tell me what I can't do. Give me the blood, but don't leave my decisions. Let me make the decisions, and if my decisions put me in a dilemma, then I call you to rescue me out of something I got myself into. I don't want a prophet who talks to me on the front end. I just want a deliverer who saved me on the back. It's a little early. Here it is. I, I, I got I to say something, but this, this level three I got to say. Can I say it? I just, come on, I I, y'all didn't convince me. I said, can I say it? Okay. Okay. Here it is. Here it is. Level three. This is only level three. If you follow a God who acts unexpectedly, you must become a person that lives with flexibility. See? Come on. Even act like you level three and clap. Here it is now. Here. I said, if, if you follow a God who acts unexpectedly, you must become a person that lives with flexibility. Some people cannot become great because they won't become flexible. Greatness requires flexibility. Did you hear what I just said? I said greatness requires flexibility and some people cannot become great because they won't become flexible. They are married to their plans. They are married to their agenda. They are married to their ideology. And they will not create space for divine disruption. God is not just a deliverer. God is a disruptor. 
he will disrupt your plans. Moses was minding his own business tending the sheep and God came and disrupted his plans. Gideon was, thre was threshing wheat in a wine press and God came and disrupted his plans. Peter was on his boat fishing minding his own business and Jesus comes and said nope you're not doing that anymore. From this point on I'm going to make you a fisher of men but I spent 10 years doing that leave it. I spent 12 years doing it leave it because what I'm getting ready to put in your hands is greater than what you're putting in mine. Flexible. Somebody say flexible. Come on, somebody say flexible. Yeah, Lord, make me flexible. Make me, make me flexible. Make me. See, here it is. I understand this instruction isn't easy though because flexibility is complicated because flexibility requires that we release something we want to keep. Because you can't be flexible and have to be in control at the same I'm going to take the silence as y'all just soaking this in, right? Okay. Yeah, some of you are like, I need a minute, PD. I need a minute. I'm going to say that one more time. Come on. I <laughs> Flexibility is hard because it means we, we got to release something we want to keep. We don't want control because we want control. We want control because we want safety. And I feel safer with me than I do with some up. Who's honest? Who's honest now? Who's honest? Say, PD, sometimes I put myself in positions where my welfare and well-being was predicated on somebody else's character and I end up being hurt and wounded and taken advantage of so I just said I feel safer when it comes to my life with me being in control I, I understand <laughs> I understand I get it I get it I get it I get it. Wanting to be in control doesn't always mean you're controlling. It can mean you're wounded. Because some of us are like, I hadn't always been this way. But I am this way for a good reason, Pastor. If you knew what I experienced you would understand that there were people I was supposed to be able to rely on that I could not. Some of them gave birth to me and I couldn't rely on. Some of them I stood at the altar with and I said until death do us part. And I meant it and I found out that they didn't. And it hurt me pastor. I made it through, but it hurt me. God restored my time. He redeemed my circumstance, but it hurt me. I made it and I'm blessed. But sometimes my mind slipped back to that season and as blessed as I am, I get a little mad all over again. Where is my honest section today?
I want control because I'm trying to protect my soul. And I understand why we want control. But I want you to know that control is an illusion. You never have it. Even when you think you do. It's an illusion. So what you feel comfort in is the illusion of control, not control itself. You think control is making you comfortable, but you don't have control. You have the illusion that you have control. So you feel comfort from the illusion that you have control because you really don't have control. Control is an illusion. You can leave here today, get in your car. The only thing you can control is what you do with yours. You cannot control if you get home safely. Because whether or not you get home safely is not just determined by what you do with your car. It's determined by what other people do with theirs. You cannot control that. You can control if you are qualified, if you're experienced, if you interview well. You cannot control all the other factors that go into determining whether or not this person is going to give you a contract or hire you. Because if they are suffering with insecurity and imposter syndrome and competitiveness, then even though you are qualified for the opportunity, many of them will not give you the opportunity. You don't have control. It's an illusion. God wants to remind all of us online, New Jersey, in this room, I always been keeping you. I feel like I got to go. God wants you to know even when you thought you were keeping yourself, it has always been me keeping you. I don't know if y'all ready for what I'm getting ready to drop. I got to share something else with you that's level three. Even when your life was in error, you were still under his protective custody. I got Bible. I got Bible. Adam and Eve's son came, killed Abel. Error, evil, wrong. But this is what the Bible says. Most of the time we stop reading after the killing. But this is what the Bible says. It says, the Lord says, Genesis 4, 15, the Lord says, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Y'all, don't miss this. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Y'all missed it. Cain was wrong. And God said, Cain gotta be dealt with. But because he's my child, I'm the one that's gonna deal with him. So I'm gonna put a mark on him. And whenever you see that mark, you leave him alone. And some of you don't know the reason you survived. It's because God put a mark on you, a mark on you, a mark on you, a mark on you. So what could have happened? 
didn't happen not because you were good but because you were marked and somebody just take about 30 seconds and give God a praise because you've been marked Can I have four more minutes? I got. I didn't got to my attention. Says, says you may well be flexible, cause you don't have control. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. God's like it's always me, even when you think it's you. God is unpredictable and we must be flexible. And our text exposes us to an incredible example of the power and the importance of flexibility. Our text exposes us to the experiences of a man named Joseph who had the assignment to protect what God had impregnated Mary with. It's so much in that. I don't even have it's, it's so much in that. He wasn't carrying it, but he was called to the one who was. Did you hear what I just said? I said he wasn't carrying it, but he was called to the one who was. And so because he was called to protect, the angel spoke to Mary to announce that she was getting pregnant. But then the angel shifted and only started speaking to Joseph after she got pregnant. Because Mary, you called to produce, but Joseph called to protect. <laughs> uh, I, I, and I have to talk about this later, the, the parental anointing on Joseph. Because his greatest contribution to the world wasn't what he did, it was who he raised. <laughs> ah, did you hear what I just said? And, and that Joseph anointing as a parent helps you understand I'm not just called to provide, I'm called to protect the purpose of God in the life he's given me. So I gotta manage the tension because the ones that I'm parenting won't control. So they're rejecting a covering that they need. Oh, I got it. That's something else. Here's the point. We're talking about flexible, right? All right. So here, this is what I want you to see. So angels start speaking to Joseph. I want you to see, I want you to see something. In Matthew chapter 2, all right, Tyra's wrap up. Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 13. It says, now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord uh, appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take this child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod. Give me five more minutes, Tyrell. Herod. Uh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Here it is. <laughs> Uh, 
It said, he said, rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt. Remained there to the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. All right. So Joseph thinking, I'm getting ready to go back home. God speak to him through a dream and say, don't go home. Go to Egypt because Herod's trying to kill Jesus. He said, okay. So he go to Egypt. Then in verse 19, it says, Herod died. Angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life dead. He said, okay, I'm going back to Israel. But verse 21 says, so he got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew and went to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. We talk like Joseph was from Nazareth. He wasn't from Nazareth. He landed in Nazareth. But in order to get the Nazareth, come on, he went from Israel to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt back to Israel, from Israel to Nazareth. He had to be flexible. Now I'm ready to talk. I said he had to be flexible. I imagine Joseph was probably thinking, I was not expecting this. When I said yes to this assignment, I didn't know everything I was saying yes to. If I had known everything I was saying yes to, when I said yes, I don't know if I would have said yes to this assignment. Is there anybody that's honest enough to admit? You've been there? Say, I didn't know what I was saying yes to. Say, God, you got me all over the place. And I'm not just concerned about the outcome, God. I'm also, because Joseph is a man, he's concerned about optics. He's got to be wondering what his mother-in-law thinking. You running my baby all over the place. Come on. He's got to be thinking about optics. Baby, I know I told you God came to me in a dream and said, go to Egypt. But he just came back to me and said, go to Israel. Watch this. The Bible, doesn't, the Bible says they went to Israel. So it means that they're in Israel. Then God say, yeah, got to leave. So you got, baby, I know you just unpacked. But God came to me again. And uh, we got to go. The life of Jesus was protected because a man named Joseph was flexible. You know, these are a lot of 
twists and turns that Joseph is experiencing here. But he was willing to make himself flexible so that he could be faithful to what God had called and created him to do. Flexibility doesn't happen automatically because we all have a legitimate need to feel safe. And because we want to feel safe, we have a tendency to pursue control. So if I'm going to be flexible, I need to pursue it. And Joseph gives us three reasons to. Number one, flexibility gives us protection from danger that is present in a place we are assigned to avoid. Herod is waiting on you where you're not supposed to be. <clears throat> I said Herod is waiting on you where you're not supposed to be. And God's like, if you avoid places that you are not assigned to, you will avoid some danger that is, that is waiting on you. Number two, flexibility gives us prophetic positioning for unique opportunities because you aren't making decisions based on outdated or inaccurate information. Notice here, every place he went, the Bible said, so that the prophecy would be fulfilled. Yes. Yes. Did you hear what I just said? Watch this. In other words, our flexibility positions us to receive what God has already predetermined for you. God, does that make sense? So it's like these promptings are, they're prophetic prompts. So I got something that's predetermined for you. And your flexibility determines whether or not you've, you will experience what I've determined. And your willingness, your ability to do this, your, what, what flexibility does is it keeps you from making decisions based on outdated information. I don't even have time to unpack all of this. Time won't allow me. But I can show you, God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Then he gets to Mount Moriah and God's like, don't do it. Well, which one you say? He said both. That's contradictory to you. Isaiah 55 says, God says, my ways are higher than yours. Meaning my level of reasoning is superior to yours. I reason on a level that you are incapable of. So what seems contradictory to you makes perfect sense to me my ways are not unreasonable they transcend your reasoning so he said I need you to keep listening because if not you're going to sacrifice Isaac when the next word is going to tell you to keep him alive because I give you the words that you need to hear in the season you're in And sometimes you're, inter you're interpreting words to mean something long-term. God's like, that's not what I said. That's what you interpreted. 
Abraham, I told you to sacrifice your son. And you did. I'm out of time. You did. In your heart. When you put him on that altar, physically, in your heart, you had already gave him to me. Which is why God said, now I know. Is that what he said to Abraham? He said, now I know. Why? Because you already did. And number three, flexibility gives us the perseverance to endure when God's timetable doesn't match our timeline. Joseph has got to be thinking, I'm, I, got a, I got a young family. I got to get them settled. This taking way too long. God, you got us going in circles. Have you ever felt like God's got you going in circles? God, I feel like I'm all over the place. I'm in Bethlehem. Then I'm in Egypt. Come on, then I'm in Israel. Then I'm in Galilee and Nazareth. I feel like I'm all over the place. And God's like, I got a timetable. And sometimes it doesn't match your timeline. But I need you to be flexible with what you believe in me for. Because I don't want you to think that I got to do it according to your timeline to do it. Did you hear what I just said? God said, my timing is my kindness. So you better believe I'm going to do it when it needs to be done. Did you hear what I just said? And all over this room, New Jersey, online, right now, somebody, somebody listening, somebody watching, God needs you to give him something you've been trying to keep. This isn't even about repentance. This is about release. What do you need to release? Control. Because God, only you could take me to Bethlehem, to take me to Egypt, to take me to Israel, to get me to Nazareth. Everybody got a Nazareth you want to end up at. And God's like, I know how to get you there if you'll give me control. If you'll be flexible with your plans. If you will follow my prompts. If you will stay as long as I tell you to stay and move when I tell you to move. I'm not preaching what I read. I'm preaching what I live. It's why we're here. It's why I abandoned law school and went to Princeton Seminary. It's why I planted a church in the Northeast there in New Jersey. It's, it's why. Flexible. I will hold whatever you give me with an open hand. And I will always for the rest of my life write my plans in pencil. And I will give you the right to erase. So Father, in this room, online, New Jersey, I pray right now that you give us the grace to release. I pray for spiritual flexibility.
Father, we want to be safe. So we have a tendency to be in control. But today we surrender. We want to be flexible. We write our plans in pencil, knowing many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord's counsel shall stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. New Jersey, your stage manager is coming. Clap your hands in this room. Come on. Clap your hands in this room. Come on, let's raise it.